Hey, Real Talkers, there's just something about a farm family recipe. You know what I mean? Uh, Whether the food is inspired by a cultural or ethnic tradition, uh, by a season or by a region, nothing compares to an iconic dish passed down for generations. So pull your chair up to the table as we celebrate Western Canadian cuisine on this episode of Real Talk. This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. I know I say this all the time. I can't even believe that it's getting near to the end of August. The 24th of August. Welcome to Real Talk. One week until September. And then, of course, everybody hits the ground running. We're grateful that you're joining us on this episode. A bit of a change of pace. If you're tuning in, if you're relatively new to the show and you're going, do they sustain this every single day? Flamethrowers, barn burner episodes, hand grenades lobbed everywhere, searing political commentary. You know, we bring you news, politics, and pop culture. We celebrate the finer things in life. Every once in a while, we read the room, and we know when to step out of the political arena and just celebrate something fabulous. And on this episode of Real Talk, yeah, sure, in about 40 minutes from now, we're going to bring you Trash Talk presented by Local Environmental Services. And you as an audience have a lot to say. Uh, there are There's rant after rant after rant about some of the things we've been talking about over the past two weeks. I mean, Don emailed in to dig up our debate about the CFL for Pete's sake. Never mind our Take Back Alberta debate that's been going on through the week. So, yeah. We'll press the pedal to the metal by the end of this episode. However, we lead off today with a celebration of prairie food. I can't wait to get into it with Dan Clapson and Twyla Campbell in just a second. They've got a brand new book out. This is absolutely stunningly beautiful. And we're going to be talking about this seasonal farm fresh recipes celebrating the Canadian prairies. There's a lot of stories to be told. You know this. And these two are the best in the business. Nationally recognized food writers. And we're grateful to have them both here in studio on a Thursday edition of the Real Talk Roundtable. This episode of Real Talk is presented by our friends at Rello. Now, I know I'm talking a lot of, about fall coming, and, and I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to do is, number one, encourage every single one of you to squeeze the most out of what's left in summer, but also just make sure that we're mentally prepared to get back into the swing of things in a week or two from now. You know, the kids are being, going back to school. Everybody's going to get getting back into their work routine, right? And for you... Maybe you haven't necessarily been taking a back seat. Maybe you haven't chilled out at all this summer. Maybe you've been thinking big. Maybe you know that this is the best time of year to take that real estate course you've been thinking about and start a career that you actually love. I mean, how good does it sound to leave cubicle life behind for good with Rello? Rello's online real estate courses are fully accredited to help you get your real estate license in the province of Alberta. You can get licensed to sell residential real estate. They've just added commercial real estate courses. And of course, you can do both with Rello's convenient, self-paced structure. You can visit Rello.ca, that's R-E-L-O dot C-A, to get started. Well, there's a brand new book out, and I know a lot of people have have been highly and hotly anticipating this, including me. The minute that uh, my good friend Twyla Campbell let me know that she was working on a project uh, with her good pal Dan Clapson, we just couldn't wait to talk to them. So we've actually had this roundtable in the books for quite some time. And now 
here they are. Both of them uh, nationally recognized food and, and, and Twilight travel writer as well. Uh, both of you Sasky born, mm-hmm. which is pretty awesome. Um, and the two of you longtime collaborators as well. I can think back to events that I've attended that the two of you have worked together on. Is it is it fair to call you like celebrants of, of Canadian cuisine of the Canadian food scene? Yeah, without a doubt. Celebrants of the prairie food scene for sure. But all things Canada. Yeah. Yeah. People are going to recognize your voice as well. You were a, a CBC radio food mm-hmm. uh, columnist for like the better part of 15 years, yeah, right? Yeah, just ended that in the spring, actually, after 13 years. Yeah, yeah. Is, is it tough to talk about food on the radio or did you figure out early on how you could paint pictures with your words? Well, for the bulk of my my column time, I was a restaurant reviewer. So uh, it wasn't so much as being descriptive as talking about the the good parts and the bad parts of the, of the circumstance. So, But then when the pandemic hit and restaurants shut down, I didn't have any reviews to do. So it took a few months to think, like, now what are we going to do? And I was able to talk about food producers and farmers, small-scale farmers, and how the pandemic affected people sourcing their food. So then I really got to talk from a different perspective of food, and I really enjoyed that because I got to talk about anything I wanted, but it all came down to you know, where you source your food from. Yeah. Is it, is it being, being a restaurant reviewer, is it, is it like in the movies where, where they see the restaurant reviewer come in and then everybody scrambles in the kitchen, gets all in, then the chef is like barking instructions. And is that kind of the way it goes? I got away with not being recognized for a long time. And you want that, a right? Lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would make reservations under a different name or my friend who was coming with me would make the reservation. I never used a credit card, that type of thing. And I always made sure I was, I tried to get a table where I wasn't in, in the view of the chef. But uh, then one time, one of the food producers, so the supplier said he saw my picture in the kitchen at a restaurant. A uh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> like, in other words, if you ever see this woman, yeah. let the chef know. Yeah. And so then I found out it, my photo was in a few kitchens. And then that was kind of unsettling, actually. I just didn't think that would happen. But They yeah. weren't using it to like throw darts or anything, were they? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, I'm reading your bio, and I, 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 I have to ask you about this because I don't even know what the context of mm-hmm. this. Uh, you're a Canadian Country Music Award nominee. What the heck? Are you, you what? <laughs> yeah. I've, out of the food world, I, I like working with creative people. So whether that is musicians, chefs, producers, other writers, drag queens, um, and my work in the country music realm is mostly known through an event series called the Blue Jay Sessions, which is a songwriter series. We did it in Edmonton for uh, the Juno weekend when the Junos were here. Right. And and yeah, we were lucky enough to be nominated for Talent Booker of the Year. And if you're not in the music world, that's a pretty unfamiliar term to some people. It just essentially means that you uh, do events and you work with uh, independent Canadian artists. Okay, so I mean, a CCMA nomination to me is is a pretty great credential or like a feather in the cap uh, to have as you're rolling out a book and a beautiful book at that about farm fresh recipes mm-hmm. and prairie food. How did how did the idea of this project come about? Well, firstly, I just want to add that I've never been a nom- nominated for an award for food writings, but now I do say I'm an award-nominated food writer. Technically, it's I true. I think it's true. <laughs> it is technically yeah, true. Semantics. But uh, <laughs> uh, the idea for this book, it, it, it's fundamentally based around an event series that Twyla helped me out with initially in 2017 called the Prairie Grid Dinner Series. I think yeah, you attended it. Yeah, I remember it. it. And what we did is that we took chefs from Edmonton, Calgary, Saskatoon, and Winnipeg, and we put them all together. We started in one city, and we traveled and did pop-up dinners uh, four and ten days. And part, part of it was to, of course, 
expose local food lovers to a cool collaborative chef dinner. But on top of that, we wanted these chefs to really understand other parts of the Prairie region where they all live and where they're all proud to be. And that's really the ethos of this book, too, is that we want to showcase the different aspects of the prairies, not just Alberta, but also Saskatchewan and Manitoba and show people just how dynamic it is. So how, how did you approach this, Twilight? Was this something that, that uh, and you've done, a, obviously, a ton of writing in your career, um, this project a little bit unique was this always one you had maybe simmering on the back burner like always something you intended to do to to celebrate cuisine in this part of Canada a cookbook wasn't on my list of things to do no no writing other books yes to be published by Random House yes that's definitely on a list Huge for a writer deal. yeah that's a pretty big deal and so when Dan uh, talked to me about this I thought it was pretty interesting and actually he brought it up when we were traveling together throughout Southeast Asia I think we were in Taiwan mm-hmm. and uh and he said, you know, I have this idea. What do you think about a prairie cookbook based on you know, this? And I'm like, well, out of your million ideas that you have told me so far, <laughs> I really like this one. I think it's got legs. Yeah. And uh, then it just kind of sat for a bit. And, and uh, then he brought it up again somewhere during the pandemic. And then he pitched to Random House and we had a, a meeting and the editors and people in Random House were like, yeah, this sounds like a great idea. So if there's like a farm family, uh, there's like a dairy farmer in Quebec that's watching this or a potato farmer in the Maritimes or you get the idea. Um, are they going to, are they going to recognize and acknowledge that there's something unique about farm fresh recipes on the prairies? Like is, is the way that we approach food in Western Canada, in, in Alberta and Saskatchewan, maybe a little bit into Manitoba, uh, demonstrably different than the way that we approach it in, in other parts of the country when in the context of farm fresh. Hmm. That's a really good question. I think we are, similar for sure and i think on the prairies we have some unique ingredients that people outside of the prairie region might not be familiar with yeah like we use sea buckthorn berry in some of our recipes which is uh it was a a shelter belt used for a shelter belt across the prairies Mm -hmm. it's native to siberia it was brought into canada and it grows quickly and it roots deeply and so it acts as a great shelter belt but it also produces these astringent little berries so dan and i wanted to stay away from uh ingredients that were say more tropical you know we wanted ingredients that were found on the prairie so instead of using a lemon in a lot of our recipes we have found that using sea buckthorn juice works just as well because it's so tart so acidic so if you really want to get technical and not use any kind of ingredients that aren't of the prairies you can get away with using something like that saskatoon berries for example are, are a prairie berry we use that iconic iconic yeah for sure um i remember picking saskatoons with my dad yeah. and he used he used the opportunity i've told this story a million times but i remember we were on this this hill uh, you, you can actually find you can find saskatoons in fish creek park in calgary like right in the middle of the city and uh, and i remember my, my dad teaching us a life lesson is uh, I, I like in my, in my memory it was my brother that was complaining about it but it might have been me too but I remember my dad just, he kind of had this, you know, the gait of his walk and he paced his words to the gait of the walk as he picked the berries. And he said, if you don't pick the berries, you don't eat the pie. If you don't pick the berries, you don't eat the pie. And I just thought like that's, I've used that phrase uh, literally and metaphorically mm-hmm. <laughs> through the course of my life. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, isn't it funny how like a Saskatoon berry can can invoke so many memories for somebody? You're banking on that with a book like this. Absolutely. And the, the funny thing with Saskatoons, though, is that they're actually more plentiful in Alberta than they are in Saskatchewan. 
but Saskatoon is named after the berry, but you can, <laughs> they are, for, foraging wise, I find they are more readily available in Alberta. The city is named after the berry? Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yeah, it's not the other way around. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. So these are all recipes the two of you developed, or for the most part. Like, you didn't go around and interview a bunch of farm families and, and steal their family recipes. No, the bulk of the, of the recipes are brilliant. from... I wanted to, and Twyla said that would <laughs> Why be not? wrong. Yeah, don't you dare. Way less don't you work. Dare, so. yeah. yeah, right. No, the, but the bulk of the recipes are from Dan and I, and then 10, 15 or so are from contributing chefs. Mm-hmm. These are chefs that we've worked with, that we've written about, that we have, uh, you know, that we're friends with or have worked with somehow, you know, over our, the years of our... Uh, uh, as us being food writers. So, yeah, 90% of the recipes in there are from Dan and I. Is this is this like a peek into what your childhood was like? Are we getting a glimpse into what it was like for you growing up in Saskatchewan? You grew up on a farm, right? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of my recipes are rooted in that kind of farm tradition. I just can't get away from it. I mean, you know, my parents were born in the d- Depression, so they were raised where you don't waste anything, you you make the use of everything. You don't um, waste any money kind of thing. So I, th- I I have things like rendered fat in my fridge all the yeah, time. Yeah, like you talk about these jars of rendered fat that you keep. Well, yeah. I mean, you cook up bacon. You're not going to throw out that fat. That's gold. You can use that to cook potatoes, to fry eggs, anything to, to add body to a stew. Uh, I've got bacon fat, beef fat duck fat people don't even think of that i know i know that you're not supposed to pour it down the drain right um i know that my father-in-law who's like just has this, has built this constructed this incredible like bird sanctuary on their farm uh outside humboldt um uses bacon fat a lot i think with suet or something or like makes i don't quite understand right. what, what he does with it but but the average person still can get a lot of use out of that oh, for that's sure. not even been on my radar no and it, my parents grew up eating lard sandwiches so it's you know it's Got, it's full of calories, absolutely, but there's so many uses. Never, never throw it out. Don't huh. Yeah. Um, yesterday, uh, Johnny, producer of this show, the intrepid producer of this show, Johnny, you were telling us about how uh, back in your, you know, your your terrestrial radio career, you want to tell these guys about the picture that you used to have posted up in your studio, the photo of the lady. Oh yeah. So when we would try to target our demo, you yeah. know, it was like it was like. 25 to 45 year old females and and to do my breaks i would look directly at a photo i called her jen and and that's who i would speak to on the radio so this was like uh this was like it helped him focus and like remember Mm -hmm. like who he's talking to on the radio so if you had a photo dan while you're developing recipes and 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 Mm co-authoring this book prairie who would be in that photo? Like, who is this book for? Who do you think these days is looking to a cookbook for inspired recipes on, like, the now and the future of prairie cuisine? I was going to say Ryan Gosling, but I don't know if that's the, <laughs> yeah, right, maybe. Not the right answer. Who would blame <laughs> yeah. you for in having my, photos of Ryan Gosling? In my, in my heart. Um, <laughs> you know what? I, I, I think that I want this book to appeal to a lot of different people. And for me, I spend a lot of time traveling. I mean, Twi- Twyla's very well traveled as well. I've been all over Canada and uh, around the world. And... I often joke that people, I, I joke that I wrote this book for people in Toronto because <laughs> they don't know anything generally about Western Canada. I just did an event last night with a chef who is amazing and owns an amazing Egyptian restaurant in Toronto. It's so delicious called Maha's. But she's like, I had never, I've never been west of Ontario. And I hear that all the time from people in the east. So when this book is out on bookstore shelves on, in that part of Canada and further east, I just hope that people pick it up and maybe learn something or learn to appreciate another part of Canada. It's not that like they don't appreciate it, but maybe they just aren't aware. And I feel like 
And maybe people in this part of Canada also need to be re-inspired with what the, we have around them and how beautiful it is to live in this part of Canada. Uh, we've got a, a, in our live chat right now, Kathy says, Saskatoons are my absolute favorites, but Haskat berries mm-hmm. are gaining popularity and are pretty good too. Agatha, this is amazing. So Agatha lives in, I'm not going to pronounce it, but now Czechia or like, you know, yes. so, and and um, she was just visiting, by the way, we ran into each other serendipitously at a brewery this summer. How fun to meet her in person. Um, but listen to this. She says, we have Saskatoon berry bushes at our farm in South Bohemia. And she says we've gotten a few people hooked on them, especially in jam form. How mm-hmm. great is that? That's beautiful. That is international yeah. diplomacy right there. <laughs> I actually, I spend a lot of time in Czechia, actually, about two, uh, two months a year. So uh, my What's the connection? Uh, my best friend that I grew up with in Saskatchewan lives in Prague. So um, yeah, I spent a lot of time there, actually. And there is some mentions of Prague in the cookbook. I mean, and, and actually, now we're on a bit of a tangent, but Sometimes the, the that's season- how we roll. Yeah, here, yeah, by yeah. The way. I love yeah. it. I love it. <laughs> the, the seasonality and of Czechia is it's not as cold as Canada and the prairies, but the definitely the approach to cooking at home is is um, classically somewhat similar. I would say a bit. Um, yeah, a lot of, you know, a lot of braised meats and things like that. Right. So there is a lot of crossover there. Yeah. How is how has like you 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 touched on the pandemic briefly and. You know, whether we realize it or not, you know, over the next 50 years, probably we'll be referring to like Mm pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. It's just had an impact on a lot of things. It's kind of like 9-11. You know, people people look at flying like pre-9-11 and post-9-11, right? Um, In the context of food and cuisine and in particular prairie food. um, What what did you notice Mm -hmm. uh, in in the difference that the pandemic may or may not have made? Mm -hmm. Uh, I've been writing about small-scale producers, regenerative farmers, how we need to support those. I've been writing about that for 15 years. The pandemic kicked our butts in the realm of food. All of a sudden, there was no meat at the stores. There was, you know, shelves were Mm -hmm. bare, and people were freaking out, rightly so, but they were like, where where are we going to get our food? And suddenly they realized they could go right to a farmer and get their their food, right? Sure. It's like, hallelujah. I mean, I'm sorry it took a pandemic to do that, but that was a definite... Um, result of the pandemic was people finally were able to connect that if I want good food I can go right to a farmer and our farmers are kind of important you know Hmm. are you noticing um, I'm about to drag you guys into the politics (laughs) but you don't have to get political if you don't want Um, we've been talking about this moratorium Alberta's moratorium on wind and solar hit it from a ton of different angles this is my subtle way of promoting our past episodes people can check it out (laughs) we've talked to the the government we've talked to the environment minister who talks about the the justification behind it we've talked to the energy critic from the NDP we've talked to an energy economist we've talked to the rural municipalities president who says that they're supporting it so we've hit it from a number of different angles And, and there is I think I mean I pick up on sincerity from the rural municipalities perspective uh, where it, it, that doesn't mean that I agree with, with a mm-hmm. moratorium is the best solution, but Paul McLaughlin's on the show and he says, listen, he says like, we are doing everything we can to protect prime agricultural land, prime farmland. And I don't think that solar farms and solar panels are, are the only thing to blame. I think that as a society, we've undervalued prime agricultural land. I talked to my, my cousins who farm, you know, west of Edmonton. And they, I mean, things just get paved and new developments come in and they, they lament the loss of this topsoil that's just shredded mm-hmm. off. And I mean, you guys, I'm preaching to the choir right here. Is that something that's on your radar? I mean, is that something that you're paying attention to or bigger picture, even just the, the sustainability angle of the future of farming? 
I mean, that's always a hot topic, especially in the, the beef industry, too, in like a different way. But I mean, yeah, sustainability in food is is so, so important. And the prairies are right. We are so ripe with so many different types of, of crops that we grow here around, you know, like pulses, canola, obviously, all types of wheat. I mean, the, the solar problem specifically, I will say I'm not fully... You don't uh, have to chime in on the politics on, but, of that, yeah. but that's the context. And, and, and this week, like a ton of Albertans and Canadians, for that matter, are paying attention to it because of this government policy mm-hmm. way more than I mean, it wouldn't have been on some people's radar mm-hmm. before. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, so it's sort of like for a lot of people, it's like something happens and then all of a sudden they go, oh, yeah, bigger picture. Mm-hmm. We haven't been thinking about this. Right. You know, and, and some people wonder, too. I mean, even the future of, of family farming. You know, I can't say that I have statistics in front of me, so I want to be careful, like, making these proclamations. Mm -hmm. But we hear from rural Albertans. We hear from our listeners in Saskatchewan that say, like, it's not necessarily the way it used to be where when a little baby was born on the farm, it was obvious that that was the next generation of Mm -hmm. farmer. That's not a given anymore. You're right. And actually, I deal a lot with a group of farmers north, uh, northeast or north of Edmonton. They have... They have formed a cooperative, and they've opened this restaurant in, uh, it used to be the Maple Tree Grill or the Maple Grill up by Wasetna. And so this cooperative of farmers now um, bring the food that they grow to this little restaurant, and they cook from homegrown ingredients. And so I hear a lot from these farmers about how large farms are being sold to um, commodity mm-hmm. farmers, right? The land is cleared of all of the, the shelter belts and, the, and the, the trees that protect the land from erosion, and it's being bought up. So the small farmers are being pushed out, mm-hmm. and who's going to grow our food? So it is a problem. If there's, if there's any, any way we can save or help those small farmers, small-scale farmers, we need to do it. Yeah. Um, so so the reality of this situation right now is that, Dan, you are hosting an event in Calgary, three hours south of here, mm-hmm. and, and and you've got to leave us. And Twyla, you want to hang out for a little bit, and we'll I hang out in the that. studio sure. before you go, because mm-hmm. you have to. You have to literally hit the road straight from our studio. <laughs> I am a glutton for punishment. And, and yes. Can you tell us? By the way, I love this. It does, you're, you're like I have to stop and I have to pick up two chefs and a drag queen, which is literally. Uh, <laughs> You know what? Um, my life is crazy and I wouldn't change it for the world. No, last night we had a, a wonderful event at CKUA Radio in the performance hall. We paired up local chefs with drag performers and they went through a series of fun challenges. Steve Brochu of uh, Milk Crate actually won with his paired Edmonton performer, Pheromone Kills. They always have a nice dramatic name. What a and, name, Pheromone uh, yeah, Kills. Yeah, good. Um, but it, yeah, it was fun. All in support of Skipping Stone Foundation. So we're doing the same thing in Calgary tonight. So fun. Is it sold out, by the way? Um, Calgary, no. Edmonton, yes. But yeah. where can people get tickets like for, for Calgary? Um, uh, showpass.com showpass.com okay cool Um, uh, it just it sort of feels like a James Corden type scenario you with two chefs and a drag queen driving down to Calgary you need to have GoPros running in the car I think it's going to be an amazing little vignette the car is very full of luggage so it's going to be quite quite an adventure before we uh, bid you adieu and wish you a safe journey what's one thing uh, and Twyla and I can get more into this uh, what's one thing we've not yet talked about with this project this book maybe a recipe whatever that you want to make sure is on the record. I think that Twyla and I approach this book in two slightly different ways. And I think that some, and I think that's a good thing because it really offers a variation of 
if you are a novice cook but you're looking to explore a bit more the book offers that and if you're maybe if you work in the restaurant industry you can definitely find some inspiration in there and i'm not saying any recipes in there are, are too chefy or too complicated but there are some some fun ideas and a lot of familiar flavors that i feel like uh, are presented in a more contemporary way and that was really our goal with the book I love it. Uh, Dan Clapson, you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Dan's Good Side. Uh, we can say in setting up the camera shots today, every side of you is a good side. Oh, oh, oh yeah. I don't know about that. But yeah, but really appreciate you making time for us, <laughs> Dan, you. and safe journey down to Calgary. Twyla, hang tight. We've got so much to talk about with you. Wanted to let you know, Real Talkers, right now, uh, and this is a message specifically for the professional engineers in our audience. If you're a PNG right now, and you're kind of like maybe listening to this maybe you're live streaming the audio or maybe you're listening to a podcast on your way into work and honestly you got the, just a tiny little pit in your stomach because you absolutely hate your job you haven't felt inspired you don't feel like they appreciate you you don't even like the projects you're working on take two seconds today to visit apexautomation.ca i mean this is a, one of the fastest growing firms in canada they're working in robotics material handling like cranes and conveyor belts they're automating chemical manufacturing plants in bc alberta and saskatchewan they work on pipelines upstream oil extraction natural gas uh, potash mining in saskatchewan shout out to our saskatchewan audience today and they're looking for if you're a PNG or maybe even someone who's about to graduate from engineering school, maybe you're heading into your last year, never too soon uh, to start the conversation with the team at Apex Automation. You can find the careers link right at the top of their website. You let them know that Real Talk sent you. If you find yourself in a gut punch situation, I mean, gosh, this is just the reality for thousands of Canadians right now in BC, Alberta, the Maritimes for that matter. Complete Care Restoration is your go-to for fire and flood restoration. This is a company that, number one, hopes that you never have to call them, but if you do find yourself in that scenario, an unfortunate one to be sure, you know you wanna make sure that this job is done right. Whether it's your home or your business, this is a big investment, and you wanna trust a company that's gonna treat this space like it's their own. We've worked with Complete Care Restoration, they helped I mean, they basically built this studio, to be honest with you, and we're so impressed with their professionalism and their attention to detail. Your insurance policy quite likely lets you choose who's going to do the work. So don't think twice. Visit CompleteCareRestoration.ca today. Hey, speaking of hiring, our friends at Kubi Renewable Energy are doing exactly that right now. They're looking for installers. They're looking for uh, members of their sales team. They want to add to that. It's because more and more Canadians obviously are putting solar panels on their roof. Whether it's your home, your barn, maybe it's an industrial warehouse that you own. Heck, maybe it's that cottage that grandma and grandpa gifted down to the family. It's off the grid, but you'd love to have some solar panels out there. Kubi does it all. They design it, supply it, install it, maintain it. And of course, you can be part of that movement. Ball hockey tournaments for staff, cold beer on tap. And I mean, come on. You can learn more about them at kubienergy.ca. And before we get back to Twyla Campbell, for those of you that this fall are thinking about maybe taking a step forward with your post-secondary education, You've been thinking about it for a while, but we know that there's roadblocks in the way, right? Number one, travel time to a university or to a college. Number two, your schedule. It's demanding. you got a lot going on. Check out Athabasca University. It is designed to be flexible. It's designed to work around your unique schedule. 
I want to tell you about Jody Moore really quickly. Jody Moore is an Athabasca University student in the Faculty of Humanities and Social Sciences. You can read her story at AthabascaU.ca. She's been a student there since 2015, just earned a certificate in counseling women, and she's getting closer to her final course in her Bachelor of Arts in Psychology. Now, she's living with on the autism spectrum with attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD, and sensory processing differences. And so post-secondary has been a, a challenging process for Jody. In high school, she suspected that there were undiagnosed learning disabilities, but very little was known about female autism, especially where she was growing up in the UK. And then by the time that she made her way to Canada, dropping out of university was her story at age 20. Well, long story short, she found Athabasca University. And today she is making an incredible impact. Her life has been transformed by learning at AU. Again, you can learn more about the potential to transform your own life today at AthabascaU.ca. Hanging out with uh, Twyla Campbell, uh, co-author of Prairie, seasonal farm fresh recipes celebrating the Canadian prairies. Bit of a gut punch announcement this week. This is going to be a local note for those in the Edmonton or Metro Edmonton uh, region. But you know exactly what I'm going to say. You want to jump in and guess what I'm I about to talk about? I just got shivers at Chartier closing. Yeah, in Beaumont, yeah. Alberta, just south of Edmonton. Chartier around for more than a decade, I think. Uh, actually, no. Was I think it? it's just under just seven under or eight years. Oh, is yeah. that right? I remember when, yeah. when Darren and Sylvia opened this place. Yeah. Um, you, you want to tee it up better than I can. It was kind of a French theme. Beaumont has such a rich history of the, the Francophone. Mm-hmm culture and boy did they ever nail it yeah and they had such strong community report it was a kickstarter program right that they got yeah the that's through. right I they think crowdfunded to kick it off successful um programs ever and I mean Darren and Sylvia are just such lovely people and they care so deeply about the food that comes out of the kitchen the staff that they have just the general connection to the community and um, so yeah Darren announced this this week on social media that Charche is going to be closing because they have just tried so hard to keep things afloat Uh, you know the high cost of food the labor shortages everything has just culminated to a point where they just can't um, keep it going anymore and that's really sad yeah it is we see um, you know I mean every city kind of has its or most cities have kind of like a restaurant district or whatever uh, for people familiar with Alberta's capital city where we live in Edmonton we live near the 124th street stroll uh, with some great independent restaurants but it, but it's been a, a, a bit of a rocky ride there as well for every restaurant that opens it mm-hmm. seems two are closing or, or one for one and it's it's that kind of trade-off you hate to see it's just it, it just reiterates to me time and time again the razor thin margins the external yeah. factors at play uh, you wonder how many people will still have that appetite to really put it out there to put hundreds of thousands or more uh, on the line to open up a shop and just hope that they can make it through. Yeah. It's, 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 it's not a business for the faint of heart. No, I, I wouldn't want to be a restaurant owner nor a chef. I mean, it's a pretty tough industry. And, you know, the franchises, they've got deep pockets. They, they'll keep going. You know, they just have those resources. Independently owned restaurants create such interest 
in a, in a city on the food scene. And it's those independently owned re- restaurants that really need the consumer's support. Yeah. Um, you know, like I say, the franchises, they'll keep going. And they offer the standard fare right across the board. Uh, people know what to expect. That's why they're successful. They have a, you know, pretty static recipe, you know, format. But it's these independent restaurants that that are just so vital to our community and we just have to keep supporting them. When you're putting out a cookbook like this, do you think in where the it feels like everything or almost everything that we talk about on the show cost of living is a factor. It factors in at some point, right? Whether we're t- you know we're talking about energy policy with the government, people are talking about the price of their utilities. We're talking about the price of gas, the price of groceries, the the price of going out, the price of travel, the pr- you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You know, flights are up, everything's up. Mm-hmm. And uh, do you think Will there be a trend where, where people are more returning to spending more family time around the dinner table? More, more people are bringing a lunch to work. More people are making Sunday brunch at home as opposed to going out. Do you see that happening around Oh, man, you? I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. And you're not the first person to talk to me about that this week. I think you're the third or fourth to ask me that. So if people are asking that, that means they're thinking about it, uh, which means, yeah, I think it's going to happen. Well, and our family's thinking about it. I, I have to. Yeah. You just can't get away from it. I mean, a pound of butter is double of what it was three years ago. That's substantial. There's um, a recipe in the book for uh, uh, pork and white bean. It comes from a chef uh, from Vancouver that is a friend of Dan's. Um, And so I made it. I made her recipe. And so it involves braising pork hocks. From that braising liquid, I got almost a liter of pork hawk stock and I think it's a picture that I I submitted it's in a big jar and there's a, a metal bowl of of day-old or dried bread behind it and I just I sent that to you to say that you braise meat you save the liquid because that can be used to make soup or stew or anything you save day-old bread because that can be made into dumplings into breadcrumbs or into um uh yeah dumplings for soup or panzanella salad those kinds of Foods that are made from ingredients that you would otherwise throw away, we have to get back into that way of thinking when it comes to feeding our families. You're going to save money that way. And it's just a shame to waste food. I grew up in a family that didn't waste food. It drives me nuts to throw out food. Yeah. Like if my if Carrie was here, who you know, um, she would tell you that I, I will eat. And I'm not recommending this. Um, but, but I'll eat yogurt like six weeks past its expiry. No problem. I'll I'll try to easily, easily without (laughs) apology. Um, I'm the guy that'll cut off the gnarly part of the cucumber to save the rest. I'll cut the mold off the cheese to eat the rest. I just, I don't know. And, and I get, I will probably get an email from somebody about this, but, (laughs) but, uh, but I just like, it drives me nuts. Yeah. You're bringing, I mean, I, I think of like the bacon fat, Mm -hmm. the, the thing that you just talked about 10 minutes ago, that these are some really Easy, simple, doable, uh, and and think of like using bacon fat to. I, I'm thinking like those little potatoes. Oh, and it's perfect. Like, for that. oh my gosh, yeah. how, how how good? I mean, people use duck fat in cooking all the time to right. be fancy, but right. no real difference here in the principle. Some of us, uh, thanks to books like yours, we just, we just need to learn this stuff, right? This yeah. isn't like groundbreaking information. <laughs> no, it's not. The, um, in the first seven pages of the book, you know, the introduction, some some tips kind of thing like that, and why we wrote the book, there's a couple of pages on uh, food waste, how to not waste food. So, um, you know, both Diane and I contribute to that. One of Dan's things is 
pickle juice. He will put pickle juice in everything. Yeah. But you know what? Pickle juice is just vinegar and spices, right? So if you want to make a salad dressing, you can use pickle juice. If you want to brine anything, you can use pickle juice. Pickle juice is great in cocktails. Have you ever chased a shot of Jack Daniels with, with pickle, pickle juice? juice? Pickled back. Right? Johnny, have you ever? This morning. <laughs> <laughs> Jack and pickle is like my favorite shot. Like, I think Jack and Pickle is one of the legend, not mixed together, mm. but the shot of Jack yeah. followed by the shot of Pickle. Yeah, it's great. You just can't have like 10 of them, uh, number one, because that's a lot of Jack. And <laughs> number two, your breath after 10 shots of pickle juice, yeah. you know, you're, you're sort of on a whole other imagine. level. Yeah. Uh, what's something else in the, in, in the Prairie Cookbook that you think is going to appeal to a wide audience? Like, what's, what, what's one of the things where you're pretty confident somebody's going to look through this book and, and have their mind blown? So it, the book is done by seasons, and that's another thing that we have to get back to. So if you want the best tasting food, you eat food that's grown in season. Right. So right now is a perfect time to be cooking, right? All the fruits and vegetables are, the, are in season. So if you get into the, the habit of thinking seasonally, seasonally cooking, you're going to get the best nutrition and the best flavor. So it just means that if you think that way, then you also keep the money in your community. So instead of uh, buying fruits or produce that comes from overseas or from you know thousands of miles away, you can help support a small-scale producer by buying food that's in season. So I think that would be my plea is for people to please start thinking that way. What do you think is the most underrated prairie-grown vegetable? Prairie-grown vegetable? Oh, cabbage cabbage yeah all yeah. the ukrainians are like yep yeah in fact i think that may have been one of the funnest things to work with in this book and the the um the one ingredient that dan and i would keep texting each other back and forth like can you believe this cabbage turned out like this in fact the the picture on the cover of the book is a dish that dan made and it's got uh purple and green cabbage on it and it's beautiful so when you cook cabbage the the flavor sweetens especially if you char it uh braise it it becomes quite mellow and beautiful. And cabbage can be, you know, as lonely as the lowly as the cabbage is perceived, right? The humble cabbage. It can be exquisite when done right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think of like, you know, I, I married into a Ukrainian family and like, just like, I, I'm not saying anything profound, but like a good cabbage roll is oh, yeah. like one of the best sort of comfort foods that right. I've ever, you know, I mean, I mean un- unbelievable right. stuff. And do you make your cabbage rolls with? Regular cabbage or with sour cabbage? Yeah, sure. Right? Sour cabbage, sour kraut was a common ingredient in, in where I grew up in Saskatchewan, right? So that area is all Ukrainians and Polish and Russians and German people. So sauerkraut was a, a staple. It's good for your gut. But uh, one of the recipes in the book is called Kupperschnuck. That's uh, a recipe that I think my grandmother may have invented because I have never, ever been able to find anything about it online. Our uh, ancestors on both sides, mom and dad's side, are from um, our Volga Germans, so Germans in Russia. And it's a very uh, distinct group. And coming into Canada, they had, you know, of course, their own kind of recipes. But they settled in an area where there were also a lot of Ukrainians. And Ukrainians have a dish called, I'll, I'll probably butcher the pronunciation, depending on the dialect, it could be kapusniak or kapushniak. And so my mother used to make this dish for us called it was pronounced Kupperschnuck. And it's sauerkraut with rice, rendered bacon fat. Yeah. Uh, so you cook down your bacon, you add your rice, your sauerkraut, onion, and then you bake it. And so I think, I think the Ukrainian way is to make it into a super stew so it's more 
runny, but grandma may have left it on the stove too long. And when she came back from doing chores, yeah. I think, is um, it was left like a, more of a casserole, so drier. But I love this dish because it's so deeply rooted in my my family, my upbringing. Nobody outside my family makes it. I have an aunt who makes it, but she was married, is married to my mom's brother. So it's very unique. It's me. It's incredible how we as, as humans like connect to, I mean, all of our senses kind of factor into our memories, right? You hear something or you smell something or whatever the case is, but when certain dishes for me, like I think of, of, you know, my two grandmas and, you know, my one grandma would make these like meat patties and this mushroom sauce that was like, just takes me back to their kitchen. Nice. And it's a very simple, she always used to say, she almost used to like get self-conscious and embarrassed when you would praise her for it. Cause she's like, it's so simple. That's the beauty of it. You know, on, on the other side, my grandma, like her pies, the pies that she would make were like unbelievable, mind blowing. My mom has this breakfast dish that she makes. Have you ever heard of Blintz souffle? I have to share oh, this. No. Oh my gosh. And it's, sounds like super fancy and French and and but it's it's like you know it's like yogurt and sour cream and and a few other things and it creates this phenomenal breakfast uh, you can you can have it with like uh, plain yogurt and raisins or you can have it with like strawberries and whipped cream or just with maple syrup or stand alone with bacon and like it is divine but when I think of blint souffle I think of almost I mean I feel like I'm speaking directly to my mom right now but I, it takes me back to family brunches mm-hmm. around that table. And were I to taste it 30 years from now, Lord mm-hmm. willing, I will still remember those moments around that table. Like food is just so special. Absolutely. It, yeah. It takes us back to a time in our life that has meant something to us and we, where we usually find comfort. Now, food memories can also be not so great. You know, I'm, I'm thinking fried liver kind of. I can mm. smell it right away. Um, so it, to have a pleasurable food memory is everything. How would it be like thinly sliced with onions? Was that it? I don't mean to take you back to your trauma, but <laughs> so uh, yeah, when Mum made it, she would she would fry it in like that thinly sliced with onions, then cream and mm, no mushrooms, I don't think, but it was this creamy onion sauce, right, yeah. like a gravy. But so when I was first married, way back in the day, I tried making the dish for my husband, and I. I had the raw liver on the the cutting board and I tried cutting through it. And I don't know, there's probably people out there right now who are reacting because they can feel that knife and feel the resistance of the meat. That was the last time I tried making liver. It's just, that's a bad food memory, even though I had good food memories of liver growing up. We've got, we got a bunch of people chiming in here. Like Marie says you can take, she says you can slice up cucumbers, toss them into pickle juice, and you've got fret, new pickles in like two days. Is that true? Nice, yeah, quick wow. pickles, yeah. I didn't even thought of that. Uh, Cameron's telling us that he ate yogurt that was one year old. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I mean, I'm not saying you didn't do it, Cameron. That's out there. And I'm a guy who like, my my partner... She won't eat anything like the day before an expiry date. Is and that I, right? Well, she calls it expiry, but I say, you know, best hun, before. it's a best before. Like, you know, a couple days after the bread, as long as there's not mold, you can still eat it. She's like, no, day before or day of. Um, but I think that's funny because a year is is a little extra. I don't <laughs> think I a go a much. year, but <laughs> yeah, that I is can wild. That, yeah. Can I? This is this is like the dumbest question. This you can't. You know, this like we have a musician here, and it's like, how do you write a song? Like they're like, come on, man. How do you paint a painting? But but how do you actually like? How does your brain work, Twyla? Like, to, there's there's more than a hundred recipes in here. 
So you and Dan, you know, you, you, you farmed out about 15 of them to some of the chefs that you really admire, which mm -hmm. means you guys did about 85 of them. Mm -hmm. So let's say you personally did, what, 40 to 50 recipes for this book. That's yeah. wild. Like if I had to develop one recipe and had a month to do it, yeah. I'd panic <laughs> and I'd probably come up with something that was just a ripoff, like schnitzel yeah. or something people like that's already been invented how does your brain work how do you do it it's a real shift so take that cupper recipe for example i i've i can't even remember using a recipe to make that because i just make it the way mom made it right so then you have to write it out as if i'm telling you for the first time how to make cupper and suddenly it's well how do you dice those onions do you cube them do you you know how much oil do you put in the pan do you what do you do with that bacon? So back about 10 years, I did submit this recipe for Kupperschnack to a, a different publication. It was just a local collection of recipes. And the chef who, or the, um, the editor edited my recipe to take the bacon fat out of the recipe. So she had no connection to this recipe. She had no idea how it's supposed to turn out. But to her eye, and she's a chef, she thought, oh my gosh, you can't keep that bacon fat in that recipe. That's disgusting. That's awful, right? It's bacon fat. So after she, after uh, you render the bacon, she took that fat out, which meant that the end result isn't going to be as del delicious, so luscious, because you need that bacon fat to coat the rice. It's like a risotto. Ah. So when that book came out and I saw it, I was horrified because then I thought, what if somebody tries to make in this recipe and it's not going to turn out, and it's, you know, so dear to my heart. So writing a recipe is so technical, you have to go through it over and over and over again so that you're, you're, you're imagining that someone who has never heard of this dish, has never seen this recipe ever before, is going to make it, and it's going to turn out the way it should be, and not how you think in your head. Like, why wouldn't they know that? There was one part in a recipe where I had written, finish with a squirt of lemon. And the editor comes back with, how much is a squirt? I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, what is a squirt? And she's, she says, well, do you use half a lemon? Do you use a quarter of a lemon? I'm like, okay. So I told my daughter about that, and she said, Mom, you have to imagine that people like me, she says about herself, need to know those specific instructions. And we just can't cook like Grandma did, you know, add some of this and add some of that. So yeah. it's very technical. Yeah, do you ever, do you ever see an ingredient and go, I've got to build a recipe around this, even if it's something humble? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's kind of how I cook. Like I, just... I, like I found out a while ago that like wild horseradish grows in the city. Right. You can find it. Right. Like, so if, you, if something like that occurs or you see that, like, would you be like, I'm going to build a recipe around wild growing horseradish yeah because my automatic reaction is just curiosity yeah what can i do with that what can i make and do you know that wasabi that you get in the tubes in the grocery stores uh -huh. that's horseradish that's been dyed what hey oh really mm -hmm. yeah because that's literally all it is yeah because actual wasabi that you could get say in japan is very expensive so around here it'll that's how it's manufactured is just wow horseradish my favorite story to tell is the story of our buddy Slady, who thought that wasabi was pesto at oh. a party and took the most enormous, like I'm talking a cherry tomato sized amount of wasabi on a cracker mm. and ate it in front of, and, and was like not trying to be funny, 
And yeah. what happened after was extremely funny for everybody except for Slady. <laughs> but we laugh about that to this day. That was like 25 years That'll ago. That'll melt your eyeballs. Is yeah. there a trend that you're keeping an eye on in, in the food scene right now? And, and it could be like what people are doing at home, what people are doing on farms. It could be even what you're noting in restaurants. Is there one trend right now that's really intriguing you? You're curious to see how it plays out no. or where it came from? or <laughs> Yeah, I've never paid attention to trends. Uh, they're fleeting I'm usually late to the party anyway in everything I do. Hair, can, can you think I'm putting you on? That's not true. <laughs> that's not true. Um, but I'm putting you on the spot. What's a recent trend that you saw that was that proved to be fleeting? What was it? Was there something that you saw? Where there was like a restaurant style of something like that. And, well, and you just went, that's not going to last. A few years back, there was what I called shock food. So if you see on Instagram, you've got the the milkshake with the with the donut, with the cake, with oh, the yeah. egg, with the whatever the on Caesar top. with the burger on top yeah. with the chicken yeah. drumstick so and the, yeah. anything that's overdone I guess isn't really my bag so I'm glad to see that's not so much in photos anymore yeah I'm the opposite I can't stand when you go to a, a fancy restaurant and then you have to hit like DQ after you know what I mean like the oh, tiny little I mean I understand yeah. I understand it's it's artistry and it's the yeah. experience and everything but I like I'm like a I'm like a prime rib person. You know what I mean? Yeah, I'm you, a little, I'm, I have simple taste. Mm -hmm. I well, can appreciate the fine stuff, mm -hmm. but I'm always going to crush like a signature stack burger. <laughs> well, you want to be satisfied. I yeah. mean, you want to get your money's worth, but you want to feel full. You want to yeah. feel satiated. A hundred percent. People are on the live chat right now saying like, we are literally buying this book right this minute, uh, which is awesome. Um, this, this is, uh, as mentioned, and by the way, again, uh, we shouldn't understate the fact that like, this being published by arguably the biggest publisher in Canada, isn't mm -hmm. it? Like yeah, probably. Appetite by Random House, like, yeah. that, that's, that's a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. um, can people buy this everywhere they buy great books? So, yes. Where's like, the best place? Well, All the I say go to your independent Go to Audrey's, right? Right, but yeah. um, you can find it through Amazon and Indigo Chapters, but it's available for pre-order right now, and it comes out on the 29th. So physically, if you go into store now, you won't find it, Yeah. but it'll be there uh, by the 29th. I just opened it to a random page, braised lamb neck with white beans. That's one of my favorites. Yeah? Yeah. yeah that's not like, that's not like where, where do you find lamb neck? These people are going to have to go to their butcher, right? Right, right. So I get kind mine. kind of the point, yeah, right? Yeah, I get mine from Westgate Halal. We'll yeah. say it right up front. Yeah, they have some great lamb product. And I took my daughters to a restaurant in, in uh, Vancouver a few years ago. It's very special. We hadn't seen each other in, in a few years and we had this braised lamb neck dish, and they both loved it so much, and it has just become something in our rotation now. Braised beef tongue. Right, so... It's not something that the average person is probably going <laughs> to... No, okay, so... Think of making, not that they wouldn't try no, it. No, but beef tongue is delicious. And so, again, this is a recipe from childhood because we butchered our, our own cattle and, of course, used every part of that animal, and mom would braise a beef tongue and it's great on sandwiches it's great in stroganoff but i yeah i i cooked a few beef tongues to get it right and it's i mean the beef tongue is it, they're bigger than i thought right and it's like 16 inches long it's yeah, crazy yeah but if you yeah if it looks you, like a pork tenderloin really yeah yes it does sort actually. of sort of yeah but <laughs> <laughs> thanks for not calling me out size wise anyway <laughs> but it's just again it's using the whole animal using as much like the off cuts you're going to save money there and those off cuts they're uh, uh, not as high price you know as say as uh, the prime rib and, and the tenderloin because they take longer to cook right they got more um, connective tissue in them but these are the foods that people often you know people who couldn't afford the high priced items would cook yeah and they would just take 
a longer time, but the result is beautiful. It's delicious. Who who shot these photos, by the way? Johnny's been showing us a bunch. Yeah. For people listening to the podcast, here, you, this is an episode you kind of want to watch on YouTube because the photos you've submitted to us are incredible. Who's responsible? This is Dong Kim, and uh, he's from Calgary. He's been a friend of Dan's forever. Yeah. Dong's wife is a food writer. She does food writing on the side of her regular career, but Dong also, um, he does food, or food photography on the side, but he is so talented, wonderful to work with, and um, you know, I would see the photos in the proofs and I'd go through them on my computer and I'm like yeah that's pretty good that's pretty good love that but seeing them on the page is different they look amazing well and and this is like to be honest with you this is a, it's a cookbook congratulations but it's kind of a coffee table book too I don't, isn't like, that I'm, the best yeah I'm yeah. flipping through and I'm like your chorizo <laughs> and apples I can't wait to make these bacon wrapped asparagus with sea buckthorn aioli mm-hmm. what and then here let's talk about this I mean, the city of Calgary has claimed this. The city of Calgary has claimed to inv- to have invented oh, the, the Caesar. Caesar. Yeah. And here you are. Uh, I don't want to say that you are proclaiming yourself to have developed the definitive Caesar recipe, but a lot of people have different approaches to the Caesar. In your mind, what is the perfect Caesar? How do you make the perfect Caesar? So a good amount of ice. Yeah. Um, you have to finish it with lime. Don't ever put lemon in there. No. No. So I've, That's I, a Bush League move. <laughs> I've been in bars where I've had, you know, lemon and I've... You're like, sorry, we're out of limes. You're like, jeez. No. Um, and keep it simple. I'm not really into the finishing it with uh, the hamburgers and the, the steak on top and the bacon, whatever. But a little bit of garnishing is fine. It yeah. adds flavor. Some candied bacon is nice in the Caesar. Candied bacon is fine. I like it when they I like it when they put the bacon across the top of right. the glass. I don't like it when they put it in, mm, well, like or beef jerky or something. It's like yeah. or, or like pepperoni sticks. I don't I don't like it like wet. Right. You know what but, I mean? You know a Caesar is so customizable. People can do so many things. Um, do you, you ever throw add, horseradish in your Caesar? Yeah, Ooh. I do. I don't think it's for a basic Caesar, but it's a nice touch. So is pickle juice. Yeah, pickle juice. You know my wife uh, presses her Caesars just at the top with a red wine press, just a tiny, just a little. Dip. Just a little dollop, you might See, call it, of red wine at the top of the Caesar. And it's it's like it, it, it actually makes a, a kind of a nice difference, but it doesn't like change it in a crazy way. Mm. It just kind of just adds that little, that tiny That's little je ne sais quoi. <laughs> Johnny, do you have a, I know you, you and I got into Caesars a little while, a couple of weeks ago, we, we had a Caesar or two. <laughs> Don't pull back the curtain too far. Are you a vodka or a gin Caesar guy? I, I was a vodka guy and then I tried the gin Caesar about, about six months ago and it's, it's uh, definitely better. So yeah. So a gin Caesar, I don't know too many people that have actually will talk about a gin Caesar, but Back in the day, and I'm talking in the 80s. Okay. I'm a little older than y'all. <laughs> oh, barely. Uh, barely. The, they would make gin Caesars, but they called them beef eaters. Yeah. The beef eaters. The beef eater. Mm. And I think I mentioned that on Yeah, the you book. do. And, I mean, I love this. You know, you, you even talk about like, you know, Caesar with whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, a Caesar with white rum is a clam digger. That sounds right. horrific. So I think this just came Sorry, out of, no offense, but well, like, I know you didn't invent it. <laughs> but I think it probably came about when people ran out of vodka. And they were like, what else can we put in there? And someone tried rum. It's like, this isn't bad. But it's got to be white rum. It can't be dark rum. <laughs> it should be no rum in a Caesar. Can we just, like, I, you know, I, we, we, this show, we say, we'll hash out ideas. We, we're here for healthy debate. I will not debate white rum in a Caesar. Have I'm you sorry. tried it? No, I have not well, tried it. Ryan. Okay. I don't guess, uh, you know what? I guess don't. Yeah. Well, I was always the guy who was like, no, I want the, the vodka instead of gin. Then I tried the gin. I don't know if it's superior. I think it's all your taste, right? But I do think it's better. Yeah, the gin was. Okay, I'm going to tell you what. We have white rum in the studio. 
we have clam in what, the studio. right now? Well, <laughs> maybe after the show wraps. Do you just have in lime? Case, just in case it... We do have lime. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Actually, we're... We're better stocked in this studio than 70% of restaurants, I would say, in the city, like with booze. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. <laughs> Wouldn't you, do you disagree, John? I mean, I'm not, t- He's you not know, saying th- anything. This is, this is the type of thing where people, but like, this isn't like your average political talk show. We've got three fully stocked beer fridges. We have a full wet bar. We Far can, too many types of olives. We can entertain on a moment's notice. It's like five types of olives in here. At least. <laughs> nice. We got nice. 10 different nice. types of cocktail cherries. I mean, like, we, we got dehydrated orange slices. I'm we impressed. have dehydrated pineapple wedges. Oh. We're ready to go, Twyla. That's, that's crazy. You were just here too early in the morning, which is why you only got black coffee. Uh, yeah, black coffee, nothing in it. I might <laughs> Yeah, well, we, we didn't. I didn't know, you know. Um, congratulations on the book. Um, I, I, I hope that it's clear here, but for, for I haven't spelled it out. But um, I'm a big fan of yours and have been for a long time. And and your credibility, your career speaks for itself. And no wonder people are excited about this book. Uh, it's Twyla Campbell and Dan Clapson in partnership. The book is Prairie. Seasonal farm fresh recipes celebrating the Canadian prairies. Thanks for hanging out with us. My pleasure. And Thank here, you. you make sure you take this because that's like your copy. <laughs> it is. One what's of the it, few. By the way, I know we're wrapping, but what's it like when when like it arrives? The first hard copy arrives at your house. Do you like? Do you like put on some music? Do you pour yourself a glass of wine and then open the, the no, package? No, I or... ripped open that package. I couldn't wait to see it. Because, what does it feel like? Well, it was amazing. It was almost yeah. It's going to be two and a half years from start to finish, so that's long. And you know, you can't. Wait. It's heavier than I thought. Yeah. Um, the pictures are even more beautiful than I thought they would. It's a stunning. I'm not just pumping yeah, your tires like it's, it's a beautiful nice. book. It's nice. no that moment of ripping open that package and holding it was pretty special yeah mm-hmm. and, and and i love you know we, i come from a like i'm a city slicker grown, born and raised but we come from a farming family and i'm thrilled that you're celebrating that culture and and recognizing the huge contributions that that families and people that work in the ag industry yeah. make to feeding us all I, I i don't think that they get enough credit um it's it's not an easy uh calling you know, I mean, like it's hit or miss. I remember talking to a friend of mine, you know, Jeff None, mm-hmm. uh, he's in the beef business, the potato business. And, and he was talking to me how like th- they have to do this dance. I shouldn't speak on his behalf. I'm not. But but even in picking and choosing like which crops they'll insure and which ones they won't. Yeah. Um, he says that he, you know, they, they've had like hailstorms that'll do hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not millions of dollars of damage. The great white combine. An, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. it's just like, I, I just think that, that for what it takes to farm, um, and for a lot of people too, this isn't a sob story, but for, for a lot of farmers, like the value is the land. Mm-hmm. And so they're not like making 500 grand a year and whatever. It's like, unless you sell the farm, you're not cashing in and it's just, you're making a living and a mm-hmm. lot of them do it because I think of a deep conviction that that's what they're supposed to be doing. I am so grateful to farmers and the work that they put into growing food for us because I could never do that work because it's just too physically demanding. It's yeah. too hard. Yeah. I was walking through West Edmonton Mall last night, meeting up with a friend. She's visiting from her home in Israel, and it was so cool. And all of a sudden, we're just we're just walking down Bourbon Street in the mall, and that digital billboard flashes up, and there's my cousin Nelson, a dairy farmer from Westlock, Alberta, and he's like the new face of the Alberta Milk Campaign. And I was like, Nelson, my uh, man. It was just, it, I, I, it was like I had this sense of pride. Right? And it, Nelson could say to me, like, dude, you don't know. The, he would laugh. You know, I remember at our family reunion when I was like 11, my uncle set me up for disaster, knowing full well what he was doing. He said, Ryan, he says the track in the way could you just move the tractor over and, and all the, and you think i know how to drive a tractor i'm 11 and all my cousins that were like nine 
couldn't believe I didn't know how to drive a tractor. I was just thinking the same thing. They, so they, my cousin Graham hops on and moves it, you yeah. know, just to make sure I get it out of the way. But yeah. just huge respect for farmers yeah. um, and for you as well, Twyla. Thanks Thank for hanging you. out with us today and congratulations on the book. Thank you, That's Ryan. Twyla Campbell. You can follow her on uh, Twitter and Instagram at WanderWoman10. You don't have to stick around. We're going to get political here, and I'm going to start yelling about things. So it's a tradition we call trash talk. This episode of Real Talk is presented by sponsors like California Closets, providing custom closets and storage solutions for the whole home. You can make the most of your space with their custom organizational systems. It all starts with a free design consultation. We'll never forget ours. This is like almost 10 years ago. Carrie and I first connected with California Closets. And well, we basically organization was a huge issue for us. We had a bunch of stuff piled up. The place just didn't look good. And you get that kind of anxiety, you know. And well, boy, did they ever solve our problems. And we're so grateful with how it turned out. The design aesthetic standing the test of time. And they're doing a lot of work on garages now as well. I know a lot of you, when you think of California closets, you think of these beautiful installations in like the primary bedroom. And it's understandable because nobody does it better than them. But what about getting your garage to work better for you with like a workbench, for example, your sacred place where your projects begin and come to fruition? What about versatile storage options like fusion track wall systems? What about having your seasonally used tools and equipment organized for easy access all year round? It's a personalized, integrated workspace that maximizes efficiency, square footage, and your sense of personal satisfaction in a job well done. Ramp up your garage game today by visiting californiaclosets.ca. Hey, I wanted to give a shout out to Noob. I saw Noob in our live chat that was asking about Friesen Brothers. You know, proudly Alberta-grown, Alberta-owned, 16 locations in Alberta, but it's about to be 17. And Noob was wondering about their new location that's that's going to be opening up in Edmonton on that traffic circle, 142nd Street, 107th Ave. Said, anybody know when that's going to be opening? I do, Noob. I do. They're pegging April. April of 2024 is when they're hoping to have that shop open. And we cannot wait. Friesen Brothers is still family owned, established like almost 70 years ago. They understand the pressure that families are under, especially trying to stretch dollars as far as they can. And that's why they have their family essential flyer. It's quality food for low prices. Every day you can view the flyer, and and it's constantly updated with great meal solutions, with quality grocery products. Just check out the Family Essentials flyer at Friesen.com. That's F-R-E-S-O-N.com. Our Eden Landscaping project is coming along. A couple days break now with some precipitation, but we're so close we can taste it. I can't wait to reveal it all to you. We had some solutions that we were looking for. Number one, our grass looked absolutely terrible. We had some drainage issues in the yard. We got two big dogs. It was a nightmare. I was always self-conscious when we were hosting people. So we wanted a design that would be functional, good for the dogs, good for the kids, and great for evening patio parties with our adult friends. Boy, did they ever deliver. The design process, working with Mike and his team at Eden Landscaping is one of the biggest reasons why we're proud to tell you about this family-owned company. Check out their website. Uh, You can see the services that they provide. You can check out their portfolio. I'm showing it to you now on my screen. The website is landscapeedmonton.ca. That's Eden Landscaping. We're sure proud to partner with them. And so good last night on a personal level to run into the Cardinal family. 
Now, the Cardinal family and the Lieber family. I like putting names to these businesses. These are family-owned DQs. And it's so great to see Mark and his little guy, Ace, had a barbecue together. I just love the passion that they use. They're so proud to be operating in their communities, to be employing people, to be providing opportunity for their staff. These are the DQs in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road. Of course, every barbecue is wrapped up perfectly with a DQ cake. And you can pick up your own, either pre-done or custom designed for you, if you pop into a Dairy Queen in Northwest Edmonton or Sherwood Park, you'll be reminded how any occasion is a happy occasion with a DQ cake. I was just, <laughs> just want to remind everyone, you know, we don't have a problem with alcohol. We just do a lot of entertaining. We, we literally are people concerned we have a problem with alcohol. No, but I think it sounded like that. We're like, we have five types of olives. We have so much food, but, uh, what people don't see here is is after the show and after we get our work done, a lot of people come through here. Potential guests, yeah. potential you know sponsors stop by. We do a lot of entertaining here, and we realized early on that you know, you know, what a, a few beers and and a, and a bottle of wine wasn't going to cut it. So. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Well, yeah, we had kind of a vision for the place, and um, yeah, just because we have like you know, 15 types of cocktail cherries. Uh, doesn't mean that we're crushing old fashions every single day. Um, but, but the studio, and we, we gave this assignment to our designer and to the team at Complete Care Restoration, obviously, that built this place. We said that the, the ethos or like the, uh, the idea of the show, um, and I didn't expect to talk about this today, so I hope I, I find the proper words for it, but we wanted our location, we wanted our studio to reflect the spirit of the show. And so this, this show, Real Talk, is a gathering place. It's a community. It is. Like we have our, we have like our live chat audience that joins us live at 830 Mountain on weekday mornings, and they've got their own thing going on. The live chat today is half talking about the prairie food scene and half talking about Take Back Alberta and, uh, and uh, David Parker, which is pretty funny, right? Like that's like half the chat is talking about yeah. politics while we're talking about <laughs> schnitzel, mm-hmm. um, which I... Don't ever change. Like, I love that. Um, and then we've got, you know, the, the sort of 99% of our audience, which catches it later in the day. Uh, you know, you tell us that you're listening on your dog walk. You tell us that you're listening on the road trip. You, you tell us that you have Real Talk playing on YouTube in the background while you're eating brunch or while you're, you know, making supper. Like, whatever the case is, um, this is a place where we come together uh, in good faith and share ideas and, and hash things out and challenge ourselves. And we wanted our studio to reflect that as well. And so we've had so much fun hosting events with our patrons, our Patreon supporters, um, obviously yeah. our election night watch parties and, and, and others. Parties and, and, and it's yeah, just, it's, it's been really great. We, didn't, job we didn't want this to be a lot of talk shows. It's like you're going to throw a party in your studio. It's like, no, you're not. Like yeah. you go to any radio station in, in any city in, in the country uh-huh. and say, can we have a bunch of people and a DJ into your studio? Mm-hmm. No photo booth here. Everything. No problem. Yeah. No problem at all. We'll have a taco station. We'll have a, we'll have a pierogi bar. I'm sorry. I'm laughing. I got to know who thinks they can call you during the show. Oh, cripes. <laughs> can you believe that my ringer was on? Let's find out who it is. That's calling me during the show. Yeah. Oh, I don't know who it is, gosh. but yeah, I know it happens every once demerit. in a while. Yeah. That is a demerit. What's well, a demerit on me for leaving my ringer on, but I had to make sure that we could let Twyla and Danny in. Um, Listen, we, we've got a bit of a, a, a judgment call to make here because we the, the emails about our Take Back Alberta so many. Uh, interview with David Parker have not stopped. And so I 
like, uh, you know, we're this is our final episode of this week. And then Johnny and I are off next week. We're going to spend some time with our families. I'm thrilled to be heading out to Jasper. Um, today, I'm going to be hosting the Casa Golf Classic. Those of you that are going to be joining us at Blackhawk Golf Course, I can't wait. We're going to raise a few hundred K for mental health supports in the province. And then we're going to go raise a million dollars for the Stollery Children's Hospital in Jasper this weekend at Tee Up for Tots. Next week, we're going to spend some family time. And then we'll be back on the Tuesday after Labor Day as we hit the ground running into the fall. Now, it feels like it's going to be too late. Too much time will have passed to still be talking about the Parker interview Mm -hmm. two weeks from now. But we want you to know that we're still getting your emails. We're still receiving everything that you're sending us. And and it's really like it's saying to me that this was a conversation that needed to happen, that there's value here, um, that this is something that really lit a fire under a bunch of you. And this is something that's got a lot of you thinking. And, and uh, you know, that to us reiterates the the value of, of putting our necks out there and having those conversations. Um, it's not lost on us. I'm aware that some people don't believe that we should be doing those interviews. Um, that does not resonate with me, quite frankly. Uh, we certainly do have minimum standards for who will bring on the show, but we also understand the importance of of, of recognizing uh, clear and present dangers. We understand the value of sunlight as a disinfectant. Um, I've always believed in shining the spotlight into dark corners. And I've never believed that if you plunge your head into the sand or pretend like something's not an issue, that that issue will eventually sort itself out. Quite the opposite, in fact. And so uh, we're grateful that there's been such a huge uh, response to that interview. And of course, to some of the subsequent conversations as well. I mean, I think we've dedicated time. The interview is Monday. On Tuesday and Wednesday's shows, we spent about 20 minutes reading emails from people. Mm -hmm. And that's because I also think about you talk about looking at your picture of this this hypothetical listener, Jen, yeah. while you're doing your breaks, or Dan talks about writing his cookbook for Ryan Gosling. Or did he say Ryan Reynolds? I think he, <laughs> he said, said Ryan, Ryan Gosling. Gosling. Uh, either, either one, uh, stud muffin. Um, <laughs> but I think of people that take the time. You remember one of the emails I read earlier this week? Somebody had written at four in the morning. They couldn't yeah. sleep. They were tossing and turning. They wrote us an email at four in the morning. Yeah. That deserves to be, may I use the phrase, platformed. That email deserves to be heard. Mm. And we think of those of you that put in the effort uh, out of a a massive sincerity, and Mm -hmm. we sure appreciate it. And it's important, too. You don't want to just have a guest on and then then just continue on like nothing happened. We want to hear whether good or bad from you. And we're getting so many emails now, and we're... I want to put this out there. If you want to video yourself, if, if I know a lot of people want to remain anonymous, but if you want to send us a video reply... That's ten times better. If we can show people you and and your 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 you know how invested you are in your opinion, if we can get some audio and throw it up, that would be good too. Hundred percent. But, 100%. but you I, want people so shooting hard. that in in uh, in landscape format, right? We want yeah. them to shoot it sideways, not way, up and down. People. Don't shoot it this like way. you're shooting Don't it shoot for it Instagram. Way. Shoot it this shoot way. it sideways, <laughs> uh, and you can email it to us. Talk at ryanjesperson.com. Uh, that's probably the best way to send it to yeah. us, wouldn't and you I say? D- I do realize a lot of people don't want to, but for you, those of you who have conviction and don't mind, we, we'd love to throw you up on the show and let everyone see your opinion. But Absolutely. how hard was it picking these emails? Because there were so many on oh, this Oh, man, topic. even trash like, talk. Like, trash talk could be could be 35 minutes today, <laughs> but, but we're not going to do it just because we don't have time. Hey, be- before we get to that, and I also have an email from Devin. I promised Devin I was going to read this email because it's absolutely amazing. It's not a trash talk at all, but we were talking about full scat paper. Mm. <laughs> do you remember this? Like, a week ago, we were talking about full scat paper. Yeah. 
and and Devin wrote in on something that blew my mind, and I sent you a photo about it. You remember yeah, the photo that I, I sent? Got it, okay, yeah. so I'm going to get to that in just a second. But before we do, there's a film festival going on that we're really proud to be supporting, and I wanted to tell you about this. It, it starts on Friday, September 1st, so you got a little bit of time to get your tickets, but not forever. Uh, the India Film Festival of Alberta is kicking off its month-long nationwide celebration of Indian cinema at the Metro Cinema in Edmonton. It's my favorite theater in Edmonton. This is their ninth annual festival presented by the Edmonton Movie Club. It's grown from a small local festival uh, in just nine years to a nationwide event. So three days of screening in Edmonton, September 1st through 3rd. Then it moves on to Calgary for September 8th through the 10th. And then it goes to Fort McMurray, September 16th, Sherwood Park, September 23rd, Red Deer, September 30th. So cool what they're doing. You can check out indiafilmfestival.ca. The lineup, 10 different films in Edmonton. It showcases the diverse cinema of India. This is like one of the biggest film cultures in the world. I mean, Indian films, some of these film, these master storytellers, master filmmakers are going to be showcased. Plus, some first-time directors from all four corners of India. And get this, the 10 films will feature as many as 10 different Indian languages. How cool is that? Subtitled for your convenience. Uh, one of the major highlights of the Edmonton edition is the participation of renowned filmmakers and the calgary lineup is going to be shown at the historic plaza theater which is also just a fabulous theater down in cowtown uh, opening night in calgary september 8th the brand new 4k restoration of dawn you're not going to want to miss it you can view the entire festival program and purchase your tickets to all films in all cities right now by checking out indiafilmfestival.ca so devin writes in <laughs> And uh, this is after you and I were talking about full scap. I don't mm -hmm. even remember what it was. I just remember somebody sent us a message, and I think I said it could have filled like two pages of full scap. Yeah. So Devin writes in. He says, uh, Jespo, last Thursday, so this was a week ago today, you mentioned full scap paper to write out a list of questions. He says, and that right there brought back, brought back a flood of memories from school, which is great. He goes, but sorry to go Cliff Clavin on you here. Great reference. Mm. Good, good old Cliff Clavin. Everybody has needs a Cliff Clavin in their life, you know? Um, he says, it's actually fool's cap, like fool's cap. He said, yeah, back in the 18th century, that size of paper was frequently used to roll up and craft a dunce cap, in Devin's words, for the dumb kids in class. I, I might just say for the, you know, for, for, for the outspoken or for the class clowns, mm -hmm. for those that had a hard time, like me, reigning in their enthusiasm. Uh, he says, thereby gaining the popular name we all know it by today, Foolscap, F-O-O-L-S-C-A-P. He says, maybe you already knew that, maybe you didn't. And then he signs off with, well, see you later. I love it. Big gulps, eh? That from Devin. This picture. Ah, oh, the educational tools of yesteryear. <laughs> Did you ever, like, would you, can, <laughs> if you look back on your school experience, I'm, an, I'm a little bit older than you, was there something in your school experience that would never happen today? Well, yeah, we talked like about absolutely this. absolutely outlawed? We're not far off in age so we both remember the strap the strap is the one thing Getting i remember strapped, that yeah. was like you know when i grew up i was like that was questionable like and i never got it actually on my body but i remember s numerous times i think about three i was called in to the principal's office yeah the principal of the school and this is in a small town in ontario outside the gta but put my hand on the table two or three times i think it was two because maybe the third time's a charm kind of thing but and would bring that 
strapped down next to it and it was like yeah. you know next time you're gonna get this so i i just remember when i grew up i was like that's <laughs> i'm sure other people went through worse but do, uh, uh, yeah like do do teachers get do kids have to write lines anymore and stuff like that like is that allowed i remember i remember being sent home with assignments that's just working on your cursive yeah well that's what my parents would say <laughs> but then i remember like, like i like writing i will not speak out in class yeah. like a hundred times you but, know but putting someone in a corner with a hat on it's just kind of like it's it's a it's a little much it's a little much um kathy says i know you guys are off next week but is the dyna life labs debacle on your radar kathy it sure is mm -hmm. um we've got a bunch going on we already have some of our guests confirmed for the for the week uh you know following labor day starting on that tuesday i think it's the 5th of september um obviously adler will be there with us and then ann castleman's going to join us she's got a mclean's feature she's got the cover story uh ann's a member of our editorial board and um she's just a phenomenal writer and she envisions canada in 2060 through a climate change lens so that's going to be great Coming up on Tuesday, uh, we're going to talk to uh, the author of the cover story in the latest uh, issue of Alberta Views. We're going to talk about class sizes in the province of Alberta. That's coming up. We'll also talk about the Dynife Labs. And, and, and also, in talk show production, you can't get too far ahead of yourself. It doesn't make sense to produce shows two weeks in advance because uh, we weren't talking about a wind and solar moratorium a month ago, were mm -hmm. we? Now it's something that everybody's talking about. So uh, we want to make sure that we leave some open spots as well to, to sort of do some what you might call chase producing. And so we'll do that as and well. best of's all next week for yeah, that's right. I'm glad you mentioned that. So if you if you subscribe on the podcast, uh, they're going to be landing in your podcast downloads every day. Anyway, you're actually going to get them a little bit earlier in the day. These are some of the interviews that we really loved and, and enjoyed. Um, we've organized them into themes. So it's going to be kind of cool. Uh, mm -hmm. A best of episode every day next week. And you'll be able to find it via our YouTube channel as well. And they'll be up there nice and early in the morning. 6 a.m. this time. So yeah. you can listen on the way to work all next week. We want to get that. you ready for that. Uh, and just around the corner, I, like you said, I can't believe summer's over. I know, man. The, I know. the fiscal year kind of yeah, September gonna, starting, right? Kind of like uh, squeeze the most out of it before we get back into mm -hmm. our routines. And then the show will change gears a little bit as well, though we haven't really eased off the gas in the summer. I feel We like haven't done, I mean, talking about we Prairie. Like, yeah, easy summer coming in. It was anything but. It was anything but. But hey, that's good. You know, it's good if you're in the business of talk shows and it's good if you're a fan of talk shows as well. Uh, the last episode that we do every week, and that includes today's uh, our friends at Local Environmental Services uh, give us a chance to give you the mic, to give you the platform to say what needs to be said. These are all real emails to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We call this tradition Trash Talk! All right, this one from Layla. Layla writes in and says, after listening to your interview with David Parker on Monday and the, you know, the, his thought about the hundreds of thousands of people who don't trust voting machines, uh, it brought to mind a quote from Bill Maher. Uh, maybe Ryan might find it useful, says Layla, in, in response to a bunch of ridiculous, exaggerated stats from any of his guests. Uh, you know, Bill counters with something along the lines of like, your stats seem to be rectally derived. Rectally derived. Layla, thank you for the visual. She says, just a thought. You guys keep doing what you're doing. We promise you we will. This one from Christy, who says, woo, child. She says, that email that you read from Kyle a couple of days ago. Do you remember this one, Johnny? He's an engineer. Yeah, He's course. in his early 20s. Mm -hmm. He's a conservative. He's orthodox. I love that he told us all of that at the beginning. And then he went on to, to share his thoughts. You, you can read uh, or hear Kyle's email, rather, by going back to our episodes from earlier this week. He was talking about the David Parker interview-ish. So Christy says, listen, I, I appreciate the spirit of it, but it came across as a little bit just like, why can't we all be nice to one another? And she said, I needed to say, first of all, to suggest that reproductive rights and gun control are not issues in Canada, that is laughable. 
This is let alone false. I'm going to assume that this young man is unaware of what's been going on here in the last few years. Like, I'm going to assume he's unaware of the Canadian Coalition for Firearms Rights. They've been on Real Talk, by the way, uh, who are like political activists. They're lobbyists. They're pushing hard for American style gun laws in Canada. What I mean by that is like no gun laws. I haven't looked at their activity for a few years, but I do know they were gaining influence at an alarming rate the last time I researched them. Chris, you just Google CCFR Real Talk and you can find them on the show. She says, I need to assume that Kyle's also unaware that the United Conservatives walked out of the legislature, walked out of the chamber when safe zone laws limiting how close protesters could get to reproductive clinics, to women's health clinics were debated and passed back in 2018. That that Stephanie Fennelly with the Wilberforce Project uh, claimed with a straight face that then Health Minister Sarah Hoppen was lying about there being a problem with harassment from protesters outside clinics. I assume maybe he's also unaware that the graphic anti-abortion flyers that were distributed in Calgary, one of them was handed to my niece, who was four years old at the time, because the group handing out the flyers weren't too concerned about the feelings of children who were already here when the pre-born were at risk. That might not be the right term. I don't remember anymore what they used. This was like 10 years ago, but I do know they're still out there doing what they're doing. Bylaws requiring graphic material be covered were only passed in May 2023. And he must also, therefore, be unaware of the sheer number of fake clinics all over Alberta where religious and pro-life groups pose as healthcare practitioners to manipulate women. I could go on and on and on and on, but the point I'm trying to reach is that Kyle would find himself well-served by worrying less about others' tone and more about his own message. A high horse is far from the moral high ground he seems to think it is, and the air gets pretty thin up there. Woo! That from Christy. This one from Blaine, who says, Jess, well, boy, did I ever enjoy your show on Wednesday with Claire Hanna from TSN and Jackie Ray Greening from Sports 1440. We talked about the I don't think it matters comment, women in sports broadcasting. Blaine says, to be honest, there wasn't like much new in the conversation about how women are viewed in male-dominated environments. In particular, it reminded me of the 2016 Summer Games uh, when at at 16 years old, Penny Oleksiak became the first Canadian to win four medals in the same Summer Games. Uh, She was the country's youngest Olympic champion. And the first thing that Ron McLean talked about in his interview was how excited he was to meet hockey player Jamie Oleksiak's little sister. Blaine says, I was so angry, so disgusted. Many Canadians were at the categorical disrespect of the comment, but also I was impressed by her grace in the face of it. I guess that's just what women have learned to do. And it was reflected in your guest interviews on Wednesday's show. My point is, it doesn't seem like much has changed when current discussions on the subject cause one to reflect on things that happened almost 10 years ago, and it feels like nothing's changed. That from Blaine. Done! Says, Jess, boy, I know I'm late to this topic, but I can't leave without giving you my comments. First of all, I'm part of that older demographic. Don says I'm 61, and I've watched the highs and lows of the Canadian Football League, the CFL, since I was a little boy. And I've come to believe that... I don't think this is a compliment, Johnny. He says the CFL is a cockroach, despite the best efforts of any Canadian... The Cockroach Football League. He says it refuses to die. You can't kill it. The cockroach football. I don't, I don't know if Randy Ambrosi, the commissioner, is going to love that. But but Don says, I'll also add that my 27-year-old son is a huge fan. And I'm sure that when he becomes a dad, he'll take his kids to games because the CFL will still be there. He says, I caught uh, Travis Curra on your show. That's the host of the Two and Out podcast. Check out our archives. We ask, is the CFL dying? It was a good episode. He says, I listened to your roundtable before that with Harmon Candola, Jerry Campbell, Jenny Adams. And, and he says, I wasn't surprised at the attitudes on your roundtable. Like the sun rising in the east, you're going to get Canadians with a platform shitting on our football league. Like, did a CFL player cause your mom and dad's divorce? Every slip up 
And there are many, he says, that CFL leadership does is amplified to 11. And all the good things they do, affordability, totally Canadian, are discounted. He says, we also forget how much the NFL has adapted from the CFL, like Colin Kaepernick's read option play. Says they were doing that in the CFL for years. And who can forget the number of black quarterbacks playing in Canada prior to getting a chance in the NFL? That is a great story. Uh, Don says, my next point is the pass that you guys gave hockey. Says you just gave hockey a pass. Like you mentioned concussions in football, but we still have Gary Bettman not admitting there's a concussion problem in hockey. What about the approved, I mean, look at how they treat junior hockey players in Canada. None of them getting paid a cent. The horror stories of physical and sexual and mental abuse in junior hockey makes me question the entire enterprise. And finally, the cost of putting your kids in hockey. It's fast becoming a sport of the upper middle class. While in youth football, I could put my son into Regina minor football. Another shout out to Saski for a ten, for 100 bucks. He says everything except for gloves and cleats are provided. Uh, There's even a program to get underprivileged kids involved as well. He says, finally, I agree with your producer, Johnny, that the NHL season of playoffs are way too fucking long, says Don. The Stanley Cup winner is not the most talented team. It's the team with the best access to Oxy to ease the... I know, right? To ease the cracked ribs and stretched ligaments. He says, getting the playoffs done earlier mid-May would produce great hockey players still at the top of their game in the Stanley Cup final. Don says, thanks for reading my rant. You bet, pal. No problem. And by the way, I wanted to reference our August 10th episode from a year ago in 2022 when Jeff Nash, the hockey dad, joined us to talk about why he was struggling with putting his kids in hockey or not. It was a great episode back on August 10th of 2022. Landy wraps us up today. Buckle up, baby. We just got this this morning. Landy says, ladies and gentlemen, gather round. It's time to address the absolute masterpiece of modern whining. The legendary complaints about platforming. Yeah, you heard it right, folks. Apparently in the circus of life, there's a special tent dedicated to people who think they're too good for the very platforms they willingly stand on. And I saw it this week, Ryan, aimed right at Real Talk. Now let's get one thing straight. Complaining about platforming, says Landy, is like signing up for a baking competition and then crying foul when the oven heats up. Imagine entering a hot dog eating contest and then dramatically declaring, I can't believe they're making me eat hot dogs. Newsflash, the whole point of a platform is to, well, be a platform. It's like showing up at a swimming pool and then throwing a fit about getting wet. And let's not forget the majestic creatures who magically transform into experts on the nuance of platform responsibility. Oh, they know exactly what topics should be discussed. They know which guests should be invited and how much airtime should be allocated to each subject. I mean, who knew that Karen from the suburbs has a PhD in media ethics? It's a marvel to behold. But the real pièce de résistance, and Landy even uses the proper ang- uh, accents and everything, is when they swoop in to enlighten the poor, unsuspecting talk show hosts. The hosts who've been honing their craft for years suddenly find themselves face-to-face with an oracle of knowledge who's never set foot in a broadcast studio. Oh, dear host, they proclaim. You must wield your microphone with the grace of a ballet dancer and the precision of a brain surgeon, for the fate of humanity rests upon your choice of topics. And let's not even talk about the 
the cosmic conspiracy theories they weave around silencing. Apparently, discussing controversy is the equivalent of binding and gagging the very essence of free speech itself. They act like every panel discussion is a clandestine meeting of the Illuminati with talk show hosts as puppet masters pulling the strings of discourse. Bravo! The drama is truly Oscar-worthy. Landy says, in the end, let's celebrate these champions of contradictions, these maestros of melodrama, and the wizards of the why-me mentality. Bravo, dear complainers. Bravo! Your performance, truly a spectacle for the ages. We eagerly await your next act of intellectual contortion. Landy, I'm not waiting till the end of August to award you email of the month. We're sending you one. And guess what? A free Real Talk studio mug is on its way to your house. You can send us your trash talk anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Proudly presented by Local Environmental Services. Keep it local. Have a great long weekend, ladies and gentlemen. I know it's a week away, but the day after Labor Day, you will find us back here in the Real Talk studio doing what you and I both know we were meant to do. One love, and thanks for contributing and supporting Real Talk. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson, Executive Producer Josh Dunford, Technical Producer John Hicks, General Manager Katie Cook Chivers, Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego, Human Resources Lena Shepherd, Website Design Mike Johnston, VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Supriya Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a relay project. For more, check out ryanjasperson.com.